Chapter Thirteen of the Scottish Chiefs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Shirley Ellen. The Scottish Chiefs by Miss Jane Porter. Chapter Thirteen. Banks of the Clyde. Two days passed drearily away to Helen. She could not expect tidings from her cousin in so short a time. No more happy dreams cheered her lonely hours, and anxiety to learn what might be the condition of the earl and countess so possessed her that visions of affright now disturbed both her waking and sleeping senses. Fancy showed them in irons and in a dungeon, and sometimes she started in horror thinking that perhaps at that moment the assassin's steel was raised against the life of her father. On the morning of the third day, when she was chiding herself for such rebellious despondence, her female attendant entered to say that a friar was come to conduct her, where she would see messengers from Lady Mar. Helen lingered not a moment, but giving her hand to the good father was led by him into the library where the prior was standing between two men in military habits. One wore English armour, with his visor closed. The other, a knight, was in tartans. The Scot presented her with a signet set in gold. Helen looked on it, and immediately recognised the same that her stepmother always used. The Scottish knight was preparing to address her, when the prior interrupted him, and taking Lady Helen's hand, made her seat herself. "'Compose yourself for a few minutes,' he said. "'This transitory life hourly brings forward events "'to teach us to be calm "'and to resign our wishes and our wills "'to the Lord of all things.' "'Helen looked fearfully in his face. "'Some evil tidings are to be told me. "'The blood left her lips. "'It seemed leaving her heart also. "'The prior, full of compassion, hesitated to speak. "'The Scot abruptly answered her. Be not alarmed, lady, your parents have fallen into humane hands. I am sent under the command of this noble southern knight to conduct you to them. Then my father lives, they are safe, cried she, in a transport of joy, and bursting into tears. He yet lives, returned the officer, but his wounds opening afresh, and the fatigues of his journey, have so exhausted him that Lord Aymer de Valence has granted the prayers of the Countess, and we come to take you to receive his last blessing. A cry of anguish burst from the heart of Lady Helen, and falling into the arms of the prior, she found refuge from woe in a merciful insensibility. The pitying exertions of the venerable father at last recalled her to recollection and to sorrow. She rose from the bench on which he had laid her, and begged permission to retire for a few minutes, Cheers choked her further utterance, and, being let out by the friar, she once more re-entered her cell. Lady Helen passed the moments she had requested in those duties which alone can give comfort to the afflicted, when all that is visible bids us despair, and rising from her niece with that holy fortitude which none but the devout can know, she took her mantle and veil, and throwing them over her, sent her attendant to the prior to say she was ready to set out on her journey, and wished to receive his parting benediction. The venerable father, followed by Halbert, obeyed her summons. On seeing the poor old harper, Helen's heart lost some of its newly acquired composure. She held out her hand to him, 
he pressed it to his lips farewell sweetest lady may the prayers of the dear saint to whose remains your pious care gave a holy grave draw down upon your own head consolation and peace the old man sobbed and the tears of lady helen as he bent upon her hand dropped upon his silver hair may heaven hear you good halbert and cease not venerable man to pray for me for i go into the hour of trial all that dwell in this house my daughter rejoined the prior shall put up orisons for your comfort and for the soul of the departing earl observing that her grief augmented at these words he proceeded in a yet more soothing voice regret not that he goes before you for what is death but entrance into life it is the narrow gate which shuts us from this dark world to usher us into another of everlasting light and happiness weep not then dear child of the church that your earthly parents precede you to the heavenly father rather say with the virgin saint bride how long o lord am i to be banished thy presence how long endure the prison of my body before i am admitted to the freedom of paradise to the bliss of thy saints above helen raised her eyes yet shining in tears and with a divine smile pressing the crucifix to her breast you do indeed arm me my father this is my strength and one that will never fail thee exclaimed he she dropped upon one knee before him he crossed his hands over her head he looked up to heaven his bosom heaved his lips moved then pausing a moment go said he and may the angels which guard innocence minister to your sorrows and lead you into peace helen bowed and breathing inwardly a devout response rose and followed the prior out of the cell at the end of the cloister she again bade farewell to halbert before the great gate stood the knights with their attendants she once more kissed the crucifix held by the prior and giving her hand to the scot was placed by him on a horse richly caparisoned he sprung on another himself while the english officer who was already mounted drawing up to her she pulled down her veil and all bowing to the holy brotherhood at the porch rode off at a gentle pace a long stretch of wood which spread out before the monastery and screened the back of bothwell castle from being discernible on that side of the clyde lay before them through this green labyrinth they pursued their way till they crossed the river time wears exclaimed a scot to his companion we must push on the english knight nodded and pressed his spurs into his steed the whole troop now fell into a rapid trot the banks of the avon opened into a hundred beautiful seclusions which intersecting the deep sides of the river with umbrageous shades and green hillocks seemed to shut it from the world helen in vain looked for the distant towers of dumbarton castle marking the horizon no horizon appeared but ranges of rocks and wooded precipices a sweet breeze played through the valley and revived her harassed frame she put aside her veil to enjoy its freshness and saw that the knights turned their horses heads into one of the obscurest mountain defiles she started at its depth and at the gloom which involved its extremity it is our nearest path said the scot helen made no reply but turning her steed also followed him there being room for only one at a time to ride along the narrow margin of the river that flowed at its base 
the Englishman, whose voice she had not yet heard, and his attendants followed likewise in file, and with difficulty the horses could make their way through the thicket which interlaced the pathway, so confined indeed that it rather seemed a cleft made by an earthquake in the mountain than a road for the use of man. When they had been employed for an hour in breaking their way through this trackless glen, they came to a wider space where other and broader ravines opened before them. The Scot, taking a pass to the right, raised his bugle, and blew so sudden a blast that the horse on which Lady Helen sat took fright, and began to plunge and rear, to the evident hazard of throwing her into the stream. Some of the dismounted men, seeing her danger, seized the horse by the bridle while the English knight, extricating her from the saddle, carried her through some clustering bushes into a cave, and laid her at the feet of an armed man. Terrified at this extraordinary action, she started up with a piercing shriek, but was at that moment enveloped in the arms of the stranger, while a loud shout of exultation resounded from the Scot who stood at the entrance. It was echoed from without. There was horror in every sound. "'Blessed Virgin, protect me!' she cried, striving to break from the fierce grasp that held her. "'Where am I?' looking wildly at the two men who had brought her. "'Why am I not taken to my father?' She received no answer, and both the Scot and the Englishman left the place. The stranger still held her, locked in a grip that seemed of iron. In vain she struggled, in vain she shrieked, in vain she called on the earth and heaven for assistance.' She was held, and still he kept silence. Exhausted with terror and fruitless attempt for release, she put her hands together, and in a calmer tone exclaimed, "'If you have honour or humility in your heart, release me. I am an unprotected woman, praying for your mercy. Withhold it not, for the sake of heaven and your own soul.' "'Kneel to me then, thou siren,' cried the warrior with fierceness. As he spoke, he threw the tender knees of Lady Helen upon the rocky floor. His voice echoed terribly in her ears, but obeying him, "'Free me,' cried she, "'for the sake of my dying father.' "'Never, till I have had my revenge!' At this dreadful denunciation she shuddered to the soul, but yet she spoke, "'Surely I am mistaken for someone else. Oh, how can I have offended any man to incur so cruel an outrage?' The warrior burst into a satanic laugh, and throwing up his visor. "'Behold me, Helen,' cried he, grasping her clasped hands with a horrible force. "'My hour is come.' At the sight of the dreadful face of Solace, she comprehended all her danger, and with supernatural strength, resting her hands from his hold, she burst through the bushes out of the cave. Her betrayers stood at the entrance, and catching her in their arms, brought her back to their lord but it was an insensible form they now laid before him. Overcome with horror, her senses had fled. Short was the suspension from misery. Water was thrown on her face, and she awoke to recollection, lying on the bosom of her enemy. Again she struggled. Again her cries echoed from side to side of the cavern. "'Peace!' cried the monster. "'You cannot escape. You are now mine for ever. Twice you refused to be my wife.' You dared to despise my love and my power. Now you shall feel my hatred and my revenge. Kill me, cried the distracted Helen. Kill me, and I will bless you. That would be a poor vengeance, cried he. 
"'You must be humbled, proud minion. "'You must learn to fawn on me for a smile, "'to woo as my slave, "'for one of those caresses you spurn to receive as my wife.' "'As he spoke, he strained her to his breast, "'with the contending expressions of passion and revenge "'glaring in his eyes. "'Helen shrieked at the pollution of his lips, "'and as he more fiercely held her, "'her hand struck against the hilt of his dagger. "'In a moment she drew it, and armed with the strength of outraged innocence, unwitting whether it gave death or not, only hoping it would release her, she struck it into his side. All was the action of an instant while, as instantaneously he caught her wrist and exclaiming, Damnable traitress! dashed her from him, stunned and motionless to the ground. The weapon had not penetrated far, but the sight of his blood, drawn by the hand of a woman, incensed the raging Solas. He called aloud on MacGregor. The two men, who yet stood without the cave, re-entered. They started when they saw a dagger in his hand, and Helen, lying apparently lifeless with blood sprinkled on her garments. MacGregor, who had personated the Scottish knight, in a tremulous voice, asked why he had killed the lady. Solas frowned. "'Here!' cried he, throwing open his vest. "'This wound, that beautiful fiend you so piteously look upon, aimed at my life.' "'My lord,' said the other man, who had heard her shrieks, "'I expect a different treatment for the Earl of Mar's daughter.' "'Base Scot!' returned Solas. "'When you brought a woman into these wilds to me, "'you had no right to expect that I should use her otherwise than as I pleased.' and you as a servile minister of my pleasures. "'This language, Lord Solace,' rejoined the man, much agitated. "'But you mistook me. I meant not to reproach.' "'Tis well you did not,' and turning from him with contempt, he listened to MacGregor, who, stooping towards the inanimate Helen, observed that her pulse beat. "'Fool!' returned Solace. "'Did you think I would so rashly throw away "'what I have been at such pains to gain? "'Call your wife. "'She knows how to teach these minions "'submission to my will.' "'The man obeyed, "'and while his companion, by the command of Solace, "'bound a fillet round the bleeding forehead of Helen, "'cut by the flints, "'the chief brought two chains, "'and fastening them to her wrists and ankles, "'exclaimed with brutal triumph, "'while he locked them on. "'There, my haughty damsel!' "'Flatter not thyself that the arms of Solace shall be thine only fetters.' MacGregor's wife entered, and promised to obey all her lord's injunctions. When she was left alone with the breathless body of Helen, water and a few cordial drops which she poured into the unhappy lady's mouth soon recalled her wretched senses. On opening her eyes, the sight of one of her own sex inspired her with some hope. But attempting to stretch out her hands in supplication, she was horror-struck at finding them fastened, and at the clink of the chains which bound her. "'Why am I thus?' demanded she of the woman. But suddenly, recollecting having attempted to pierce Solace with his own dagger, and now supposing she had slain him, she added, "'Is Lord Solace killed?' "'No,' replied the woman. "'My husband says he is but slightly hurt, and surely your fair face belies your heart.' "'if you could intend the death of so brave and loving a lord.' "'You then belong to him?' cried the wretched Helen, wringing her hands. "'What will be my unhappy fate? "'Virgin of heaven, take me to thyself.' "'Heaven forbid,' cried the woman, "'that you should pray against being the favourite lady of our noble chief. 
many are the scores around hermitage castle who would come hither on their hands and knees to arrive at that happiness happiness cried lady helen in anguish of spirit it can visit me no more till i am restored to my father till i am released from the power of solace give me liberty continued she wildly grasping at the arm of the woman assist me to escape and half the wealth of the earl of mar shall be your reward alas returned the woman my lord would burn me on the spot and murder my husband did he think i even listened to such a project no lady you will never see your father more for none who will enter my lord's hermitage ever wish to come out again the hermitage cried helen in augmented horror oh father of mercy never let me live to enter those accursed walls they are frightful enough to be sure returned the woman but you gentle lady will be princess there and in all things commanding the kingly heart of its lord have rather cause to bless than to curse the castle of solace himself and all that bears his name are accused to me returned helen his love is my abomination his hatred my dread pity me kind creature and if you have a daughter whose honour is dear to your prayers think you see her in me and have compassion on me my life is in your hands for i swear before the throne of almighty purity that solace shall see me die rather than dishonoured poor young soul cried the woman looking at her frantic gestures with commiseration i would pity you if i durst but i repeat my life and my husband's and my children who are now near hermitage would all be sacrificed to the rage of lord solace you must be content to submit to his will helen closed her hands over her face in mute despair and the woman went on and as for the matter of your making such lamentations about your father if he be as little your friend as your mother is you have not much cause to grieve on that score helen started my mother what of her speak tell me it is indeed her signet that betrayed me into these horrors she cannot have consented oh no some villains speak tell me what you would say of lady mar regardless of the terrible emotion which now shook the frame of her auditor the woman coolly replied she had heard from her husband who was the confidential servant of lord solace that it was to lady mar he owed the knowledge of helen being at wathwell the countess had written a letter to her cousin lord buchan who being a sworn friend of england she intimated with lord de valence at dumbarton in this epistle she intimated her wish that lord buchan would devise a plan to surprise bothwell castle the ensuing day to prevent the departure of its armed vassals then preparing to march to the support of the outlaw sir william wallace who with his band of robbers was lurking about the caverns of the cartland craigs when this letter arrived lord solace was at dinner with the other lords and buchan laying it before de valence they all consulted what was best to be done lady mar begged her cousin not to appear in the affair himself that she might escape the suspicions of her lord who she strongly declared was not arming his vassals from any disloyal disposition toward the king of england but solely at the instigations of wallace to whom he romantically considered himself bound by the ties of gratitude as she gave this information she hoped that no attainder would fall upon her husband and to keep the transaction as close as possible she proposed that the lord solace who she understood was then at dumbarton 
should take the command of two or three thousand troops, and marching to Bothwell next morning, seize the few hundred armed Scots who were there ready to proceed to the mountains. She ended by saying that her daughter-in-law was in the castle, which she hoped would be an inducement to Solace to ensure the Earl of Mar's safety for the sake of her hand as his reward. The greatest part of Lady Mar's injunctions could not be attended to, as Lord de Valence, as well as Solace, was made privy to the secret. The English nobleman declared that he should not do his duty to his king if he did not head the force that went to quell so dangerous a conspiracy, and Solace, eager to go at any rate, joyfully accepted the honour of being his companion. Lord Buchan was easily persuaded to the seizure of the Earl's person, as de Valence flattered him that the king would endow him with the Mar estates, which now must be confiscated. Helen groaned at the latter part of the narrative, but the woman, without noticing it, proceeded to relate how when the party had executed their design at Bothwell Castle, she was to have been taken by Solace to his castle near Glasgow. But on that wily Scot not finding her, he conceived the suspicion that Lord de Valence had prevailed on the Countess to give her up to him. He observed that the woman who could be induced to betray her daughter to one man would easily be bribed to repeat the crime to another, and under this impression he accused the English nobleman of treachery. De Valence denied it vehemently, so quarrel ensued and Solus departed with a few of his followers, giving out that he was retiring in high indignation to Dunglass. But the fact was he lurked about Bothwell Wood, and from its recesses saw Cressingham's lieutenant march by to take possession of the castle in the king's name. A deserter from this troop fell in with Lord Solus's company, and flying to him for protection, a long private conversation took place between them. At this period, one of the spies, who had been left by that chief in quest of news, returned with a female tenant of St. Philan's, whom he had seduced from her home. She told Lord Solas all he wanted to know, informing him that a beautiful young lady, who could be no other than Lady Helen Mar, was concealed in that convent. On this information, he conversed a long time with the stranger from Cressingham's detachment and determining on carrying off Helen immediately to Hermitage, that the distance of Teviotdale might render a rescue less probable, he laid the plan accordingly. In consequence, continued the woman, my husband and the stranger, the one habited as a Scottish, and the other as an English knight, for my lord, being ever on some wild prank, has always a chest of strange dresses with him, set out for St. Fillian's, taking with them the signet which your mother had sent with her letter to the earl her cousin. They hoped that such a pledge of their truth would ensure them credit. You know the tale they invented, and its success proves my lord to be no bad contriver. End of chapter 13